As always, Infinite Canvas Ultra is sponsored by Midwest Action. Midwest Action is a record and tape label as well as a blog based here in our hometown of Chicago. In celebration of Midwest Action's fifth year as a label, they are hosting a showcase at Sleeping Village in Chicago on March 19th. The showcase is headlined by Midwest Action artist Bev Rage and the Drinks. Also on the bill is Richard Album, Harvey Fox, and Impulsive Hearts. For more info on this show and Midwest Action's catalog of releases, you can head over to MidwestAXN.com. Midwest Action. Listen local. This is Daniel Fiorio. And this is Michael Lane. And welcome to episode 26 of Infinite Canvas Ultra. On this week's episode, we are going to be reviewing The Invisible Man. We are also going to be talking a little bit about Barry, which I finally watched on HBO. Uh, so excited all the way to talk through about this. the second season. I'm super pumped on that show, so we'll be talking about that. Um, another release this past week um, that came out was uh, Tom King's newest, latest uh, 12-issue maxi-series DC book, Strange Adventures, so we'll be getting into the first issue of that. And on the subject of comic books, um, C2E2 happened in Chicago this past weekend, and Michael and I attended, and we're gonna be talking about our time there this year, so sit back, relax, grab a Chicken McGriddle, and yeah, here we go, Infinite Canvas Ultra, episode 26. Did you hear that? That's the crumple of a McDonald's Chicken McGriddle. <laughs> we have a habit of recording these episodes kind of early on Sundays usually, mm -hmm. and this week we're having breakfast while we yeah. do this. Michael picked up some uh, Chicken McGriddles from McDonald's on the way here, which is greatly appreciated. I had one of these um, actually before I went to C2E2 last week, and they're fucking great. I love them, <laughs> so I'm super happy to have this in front of me right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I've only I've only had one, uh, and it was reheated. Um, I I had one that was it was not very good. Uh, made up the second time because someone else had gotten the the two for three deal and, and gave me theirs afterwards. Um, but I'm I'm excited to have one fresh here. I, oh yeah, I, I, you know Dan has been talking it up, and the whole internet is ablaze on the. On the Chicken McGriddle. Screw Popeyes. Get the whoa, fuck whoa, out of here whoa. with your chicken sandwich. Whoa. It's Chicken McGriddle time. I don't know about all that. <laughs> that sandwich uh, is great. That's, I did actually have the Popeyes uh, chicken sandwich on lunch on Friday, and it was it was damn good again. Is that <laughs> second your first time? time second time. Second time. Oh, okay. But man, that sandwich is good. I haven't had one in a while. I haven't had one since they brought it back. Okay. And I need to, I need yeah, to treat myself to another it's one. It's really good. Um, and now I need to try the, the, the Wendy's breakfast. Maybe next time we do this. Oh, you know, man. Wendy's has breakfast now. I haven't even looked at that um, menu. I just know about that atrocious... Oh, oh, the breakfast bake, the, baconator. The baconator, yeah. Which, out of principle, I've never eaten a baconator mm -hmm. just because I feel like it would make my insides feel like <laughs> just like they're all greasy. <laughs> so I can't even imagine putting a fried egg on top of all yeah. that. Yeah, just... and also in the morning, you know, like that's just that's a lot. But they do have there's like a good chicken biscuit sandwich that looks that oh, looks yeah. good. I haven't had it. I haven't had any of the the Wendy's breakfast, but um, 
If they have you like know. your standard bacon, egg, and cheese type fare, I'm sure. I'd probably... Yeah, like, I think they have like croissant sandwiches and oh, stuff okay. like that. Um, I'm into that. I'm into I mean, that, for sure. I, we talked about this last week of the Holy Trinity. Wendy's is obviously <laughs> the, the, the front runner, right? Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm sure that their breakfast is, is just as good. But... We may have to do that. We're slowly becoming a food review show on <laughs> Canvas Ultra. But... Which I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, we're here today to review this, uh, Chicken McGriddle, uh, before we get into our, well, this, I would say this is the main topic of our show this week. Yeah, is this, is, this is the highlight. Um, so without further ado, let's take our first couple bites. Yeah. Let's, let's... Shout out to the reporter of the week. This is for you. <laughs> and, the, and the food reviewer. And the food reviewer. If you don't know those YouTube channels, look them up. They're great. Mmm. I'm sure this makes for great uh, audio content as we just chew. Took a bite. We're chewing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same as before. The sandwich is like... I love it because it's like a slightly spicy chicken patty. Yeah. It's like a shrunk down... McChicken, right? McChicken with these two like pancake maple syrupy, you know... Griddle cakes. Right, it's, it's it. the McGriddle buns, right? On right, top of it and on the bottom of it, I should say. So, yeah. I fucking um, love these. I think it's like it's such a genius idea. It's great. I feel like I'm not getting enough of the the maple from my McGriddle, from the, the griddle uh, buns yet. But the chicken, as a fan of the McChicken, which sometimes can be a little bland, mm -hmm. um, this is a good McChicken patty. Absolutely. This is a good, like, nice little little kick to it. There's a little spice to it. Um, plays really well, I think, with the the buns, mm -hmm. the, the 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 sweet of the McGriddle. I will say this: when I had last time, like the flavor profiles were a bit stronger. Sure. Like uh, the chicken patty was just like downright spicy. Like it mm. was hot. It was like I don't know what they used, but. Mm. That and, like, the maple syrup was, like, super strong. Like, it was, like, very sweet, and it just, like... So you're saying we, we well. might have gotten a bad batch? Uh, 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 not uh, bad. Not bad, but, but, but uh, not, not optimal batch of, of McGriddles, chicken McGriddles here. Yeah, the one I had, um, man, that was... That was incredible. Shout out to the McDonald's in Midlothian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just stopped over in the, in the one nearest to us, so... No, it's all good. Yeah, no, this is still great. I I love this sandwich. I think it's amazing. If you were to give it a score based on these these bites, would um, rate it? I don't. You know, I don't know if I would even. It's hard to say if I would put this over the original McGriddle. You know, mm -hmm. the original McGriddle. You get some egg and cheese on there. It's a real classic. I would say I'd maybe give this like a seven five. I think that's a that's a positive score for this. Oh. I think it's a good score. You? Judging from my experience last time and then having this, I think it's like a decent eight. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a great menu. Like a great item, great uh, deal. They have like, like two for yeah, three, two for I think, three. room. Can't beat that. Who doesn't like starting their day with fried chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the two the two for three, uh, and, and if Dad, Dan had not wanted it, I would have eaten both of them, and I would have been fine. I it's appreciate a great deal. it. Thanks for, the, thanks for the other one. Uh-huh. It's great. Yeah. So I haven't so, eaten yet today, so I appreciate it. There you go. This will keep you uh, nice and full for your, and energized for uh, when you go to work later. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
branching off the subject of chicken sandwiches, um, let's get into C2E2 from last week. Yeah. Um, Chicago's annual Comic-Con happened um, at McCormick Place here in Chicago. Always a great time, as every, you know, comic convention typically is. It's a three-day-long convention. Um, some of the guests there this year, some of the biggest names in terms of the comics world, you had Jim Lee, you had uh, Tom King, you had Sean Murphy, um, lots of really cool people Amanda there. Amanda Connor. Amanda Connor, um, Scotty Young. Yeah, there was um, so much. Absolutely. And then in terms of the world of entertainment, Mark Ruffalo was there, uh, William Shatner was there on Sunday. <laughs> George Shakai. George Shakai. Um, Joe Hill. Joe Hill. Um, all of AEW, apparently, or yeah. as much as it seemed, you know? Ja, um, shout out to AEW. They're very cool. I've seen, mm-hmm. like, an episode of their, you know, regular show that they air on TNT yeah. or whatever they air on, and... That is such a better alternative to the WWE, it's, like, not even funny. Yeah. It's, like, exactly what I want, or, like, what anybody should want out of wrestling. It's right. goofy characters and, like, actually really good technical wrestling. Yeah. You know, just, like, very entertaining performances. My uh, my boss at work is a big wrestling guy, and, and we were actually... I, I mentioned that AEW was at C2E2, and um, he was just talking about how... Just exactly what you said, like, he's a huge wrestling fan, and he's been watching forever... And he still watches the WWE to this day, I think. But um, yeah, he just said that like AEW is like maybe maybe not as as big on the storylines as like a WWE is, um, which is probably a fault of the WWE, seeing as how badly written those shows are. Oh yeah. Um, but AEW, he said, is just like a wrestler like a wrestler's show. You know, like mm-hmm. it is all about the technical aspect of the wrestling. Um, and I feel like I have to check it out at some point, you know? I, oh, yeah. I'm not huge into wrestling or anything, and, uh, you know, I was when I was younger um, in the heyday of, of the, the WWE and WWF, but um, I would totally be down to at least, you know, check out a bit of AEW, um, oh, yeah. especially with the roster that they have, you know? They got some uh, some of the old greats, you know, the Dusty, uh, not Dusty, but uh, Dustin and Cody Rhodes, and... Um, which I believe they're kind of in charge of the yeah. organization, which is really cool. Uh, Chris Jericho's Chris there. Jericho. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't even know, but um, it's supposed to be great, so that's awesome. Oh, yeah, and they come to Chicago all the time, which is really mm-hmm. cool. It'll be really fun to go to <laughs> yeah, that other would be events. Um, yeah, everybody from there, from AEW, was there. Sorry, I'm eating my sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a really good time. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you, Mike, while I'm chewing. What were some sure. of your biggest highlights for C2E2 this year? Yeah, um, I... Oh, and also pretty sorry we should... Probably broach on some of our hall too. Yeah, point. exactly. Um, that's kind of what I was gonna get to, really, because um, I only went on Friday this year. Uh, the show runs from Friday to through Sunday, um, but I only went on the Friday. It was a very lax day. It wasn't like too crazy, too crowded. Um, really, we didn't go to any shows that day or like uh, uh, events or mm. or um, panels. Panels is what I was, was the word I'm thinking of. Um, so we didn't go any, to any panels that day, but, um, you know, we went around and we were buying a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through Artist Alley near the end of the day and, and met some people and met some nice people. Um, oh, this McGriddle is doing something to me. Um, I feel like I have heartburn or something now. Um, but, uh... You probably do. Probably do. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so we, one of, one of my favorite 
aspects of it was uh, actually the DC booth, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, so the DC booth was uh, basically right up front and center as soon as you walked into the, the uh, event space. And um, they were handing out free issues of comics, of recent comics. So we a got lot of like issues of we got like I don't know. There had to be probably eight to ten different books. And every time you walked past, another person was trying to give you another copy of the same book you already have. It's like free comic, and they're uh, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> even even when we left, we we had already dropped a couple of our books off at like a random table at the cafe because we just had so many extras yeah. of this stuff because they would just keep giving them to you. We wanted to take a rest, um, uh, you know, because obviously walking around a gigantic convention and carrying around a lot of heavy stuff on your back, you need to take a sit down. Yeah. And, uh, thankfully, there were some tables. And I think when we laid them out, we had about, like, three issues of this Harley Quinn issue one that <laughs> yeah. they handed out, three issues of this Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad number one that they were handing out. It was a lot. They were very generous. And even still, even after that, there were still like two copies of uh, Dark Knight's Metal or whatever mm -hmm. in my bag, you know? Like, I still had leftover copies of something. And the cool thing about the DC booth, like, I have, like, yeah, I want to focus on this for a minute because they really went all out. Yeah. They really did a lot of cool shit this year, um, which they, maybe I just haven't paid attention to it in years past. This is my fourth C2E2, but, um... They had it set up really, really well, where you have, obviously, all the stuff they're trying to promote, their movies, statues, toys, mm -hmm. whatever, but then they had a signing area where yep. you lined up around the booth, um, and they had it scheduled very well. Like, there was almost a... Every hour. Every yeah. hour on the hour, there was a new comic artist, writer, multiple. Um, it was it was really cool. It was awesome. And the cool thing about that is, like, if you go to Artist Alley and you get a signature, or you, you know, you wait in line to meet somebody, you know, you may have to, like, wait for a specific amount of time, and um, you could potentially spend your whole day there, depending on who you're trying to meet. I can't even imagine what the... I mean, obviously he wasn't at the DC booth, even though he heads the company now. Jim yeah. Lee, like, I'm sure... I can only imagine how long people had to wait to go meet him. There was one line near the end of the day that was just wrapped around. Do you remember that one? I forget that was who probably it was for. Um, or that was... Um, I almost want to say that was David Finch. Was it? Because I know we walked past his table and he had a huge There was a line. huge line uh, for someone. It might have been Finch. Um, that was just like wild. Yeah. Um, that's why it was nice to have the uh, the DC booth because I felt like it was a little uh, lesser known. Mm -hmm. Like people just didn't realize that that was happening. Um, and so the first person we went to to get uh, signed was Sean Murphy, which was great. Uh, which we were I don't know maybe eighth to tenth in line or something like that. Uh, line behind us wasn't very long either. Mm -hmm. um, meeting Sean Murphy was huge for me because he's one of my favorite artists in comics. Absolutely. Um, and that was that was one of my favorite moments of that show altogether was... Um, so Sean Murphy, if, if, if no one, uh, you know, if you don't know him, um, has been a, a pretty prolific uh, comic artist slash writer. Uh, more so artist, I would say, except for like the last few years. Um... Where he's been doing a lot of his uh, his Batman uh, books, so he, he's yeah. he's actually been with DC for uh, for I don't know two or three years now, mm -hmm. uh, strictly doing these uh, Murphy verse uh, mm -hmm. as they call it Batman books that are like his own kind of uh, universe, mm -hmm. um, and so like in line when we were standing in line, everyone in front of us and behind us, as far as I could tell, were just holding Batman like those those. Uh, 
White Knight books. Yeah. Um, and so I had with me, being a huge fan of his, I had um, a copy of an, an old book of his, Off-Road, which has been out of print since like 2011, mm-hmm. um, as well as Punk Rock Jesus, which is one of my favorite comics ever, which he, he wrote and, and illustrated. Um, and just, just bringing both of those to him, yeah. it was like, it was such a nice thing for him, I feel like. Oh, yeah. He, he, he like appreciated it. He was, he like made note that like he hasn't seen these in forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was super cool, uh, yeah. just to do that. And, and you know, Dan brought him, um, from, uh, Tokyo Ghost issue yeah. one, which is like probably in terms of his art, my favorite thing he's ever done in all honesty. Yeah. Like, I just think that book is so gorgeous. That is looking. so right up your alley in terms of, like, the, the Neo future oh, yeah. uh, cyberpunk style slash also, you know, very earthy style that that book goes for. It's so cool. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think it's even more impressive, actually, than Punk Rock Jesus. Sure. More so than uh, White Knight. Yeah. Um, it's it's such a great-looking book. and uh, Yeah, and that's, like, just a huge favorite of mine being that it's a... Him and then one of my favorite writers, Rick Remender, um, handling the script on it. So I think, yeah, and especially being that that was a project that was like, you know, just right before he made this huge jump to DC and, you know, became now this superstar for doing Batman books. Um, yeah, you could tell he was very appreciative. Yeah. It was a really cool feeling. It was, it was really nice. It's Um, one of the things I always love about, um, uh, going to, you know, signings and stuff like that is... And like whenever I kind of try to pick the things that I, I want to get signed, I always kind of want it to be something that's you know, more so personally you, but also to the artist exactly. But like you know something that like the creator that I'm having it sign maybe wouldn't expect or like you know maybe would appreciate that you know I appreciate this as yeah. much as you know maybe other people that are there there like uh-huh. you know which it's a good feeling it, it, um you're you're obviously leading i feel like to the gerard way story that you have <laughs> oh um, i wasn't gonna bring that up uh, but but i, I, I love could. that i love that story <laughs> you know where you... yeah so um i i guess in terms of uh signings and stuff that i want to um this is when young animal formed which god that would have been like 2015 or 2016 yeah. though um, Jared Way's Young Animal imprint, which was, uh, basically DC's attempt at doing a new version of Vertigo that right. just completely, it just fell on its face, unfortunately, due yeah. to, like, people like Gerard Way not being able to, you know, maintain, uh, schedules, schedules and, like, you know, put comics out in a timely manner. And maybe just not the, the audience, maybe wasn't there. Yeah, which sucks, because, like... Three out of those four books were really cool. Yeah. Um, and, like, they, there was this Barnes & Noble that was kind of in the north suburbs of Chicago um, that was doing a meet-and-greet, basically, with um, everybody that was attached to uh, the Young Animal books and Gerard Way, very famous, you know, My Chemical Romance frontman who, you know... It, basically, word got out that he's doing a signing. Mm-hmm. So I go to this, um, actually saw my buddy Neil and his wife, and, like, they're two, like, very huge comic nerds, so, like, there was that, but I feel like we were the only people that, like, genuinely, like, really liked comics, the rest of the crowd was, you know, people in MCR shirts, and, you know, teenagers, and, you know... Records and CDs or something, right? Exactly, and it was so funny, because, um... When they were like bringing everybody over towards like where the panel was happening, because they did a panel too. 
um, they, like, somebody who worked at the Barnes & Noble said, they will only be signing copies of young animal graphic novels, <laughs> nothing else. And you just hear, like, oh, <laughs> from the crowd. So everybody there, like, had to buy a copy of Doom Patrol. Oh, sure. It was the funniest That's shit ever. Because awesome. I'm waiting in line to, you know, talk to... And I was, like, excited for multiple reasons. Because, I mean, like... Obviously, like, Gerard Way I love as a comic writer. I think he's a really great writer. But uh, Nick Darrington is a phenomenal artist. Uh, a lot of the other people they had attached to those books um, yeah. are super talented. And it was cool. And I was really looking forward to meeting all of them. But, um, yeah, I just hear people in line, you know, reading Doom Patrol and going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Which is super great. That's hilarious. But um, finally got to the table. And uh, I had brought with me... Um, I mean, I definitely wanted that Doom Patrol book signed, because yeah. I thought that was, like, super cool. Um, and I love that run. I think that run's phenomenal. I mean, the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol, like, next to Why the Last Man is probably my second favorite comic book of all time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had brought with, and this was pre-Spider-Verse coming out. I didn't even think this character would be in that movie. I right. just fucking loved that issue. So when they did the Spider-Verse event for the first time in the comic books... Um, the character Penny Parker Spider, um, who is like this young girl who works for this uh, like robot police force in a future Tokyo that happens to be you know a version of Spider Man. Like her mech suit is a Spider Man esque character, like designed like Spider Man, and it's a great story. Yeah. If you could find that issue, I mean, it's actually kind of expensive it's expensive now, now. <laughs> because of her being into the Spider Verse, but it's a great great issue, and I brought that. And when I came up to the table, he just goes, wow, I, I didn't think anybody would ever bring this, wow. <laughs> and he signed the issue, and he signed it like Gerard Way and then XOXO on there, See, that's super cool. That's like the best feeling, I yeah. feel like, you know, like with, with something like this, you know, obviously, uh, you know, artists and, and, you know, whether they're musicians or comic writers or writers in general or whoever, um, you know, obviously they're going to feel connected to any of their works, I'm sure, and... I'm sure he's appreciative of all the people with their MCR stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but but to you know be able to bring something that that kind of means more to you and them is, is a really nice feeling. It was great. Um, so that was really great. Um, again, coming back to yeah, going um, back to C2E2. C2E2. Yeah, it's moments like that, and that's one of the things I love most about C2E2. Yeah. You know, being able to do that because I feel like when people look at the world of comics, they don't really take into account. You know, I mean, I'm more a fan of creators than I am books sometimes. Right, right, and, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people don't factor that in like, when they think about comic books as an art form. When when Batman gets taken over by, uh, isn't it James Tinian taken over for a little while? I don't know if he's going to be the main writer. He's currently writing though, it. But actually. he's going to be, for, you know, the foreseeable future, um, I... I don't, give I, a don't shit. I don't yeah, yeah he's <laughs> uh, from what I've read of his he's fine. I'm sure that the Woods book is probably okay. That's supposed to be good, but there has never um, been something I've read by him where I was just like knocked out by yeah, him. Yeah, so really had an interest in following through with I, it. I'm totally right there with you about it. it's for me it's more about the writer or artist on a book rather than like the character. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if with Hawkeye I would I don't really much 
care about Hawkeye too much, but Matt Fraction and Jeff Lemire writing it is going to get me to read it. Exactly. Um, or, uh, speaking of Matt Fraction, that Jimmy Olsen run that you've been exactly. reading. Exactly. I mean, right. I wouldn't care about a Jimmy Olsen book written by James, James Tinian, but if it was <laughs> Matt Fraction, and it's... No like, offense Cal- to James Tinian. No offense to James Tinian. <laughs> the fourth. But, uh, the fourth, don't forget that. But um, being that it is Matt Fraction, it's... It's like one of my favorite books that exactly, came out in the last exactly. year. It's so good. Um, um, speaking though, like on the subject of uh, people's like runs that we really like, um, and a DC booth, we got to talk about meeting Tom King. Which yeah, was super great. That was, was awesome. We we at the DC booth. I unfortunately wasn't around for meeting uh, Gail Simone, um, who uh, Michael and my buddy Ethan yeah. met up with us. You, you mm-hmm. met Gail yeah. Simone, right? Yeah. Um, and oh, Joshua oh. Williamson. Oh, okay. At the same time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we gotta bring that up. Uh, yeah. uh, mainly Superman's dead <laughs> eyes. Um, so they have a DC has a Superman Batman book, and uh, they have this promotional art where it's all of the DC characters, and there's the the Batman who laughs character basically picking up a character in this huge spread of yeah. DC characters, and it's Superman. And it's Superman, but like with the deaddest stare. It looks like an ever. action figure. It looks like know? he's picking up an action figure. Um, Everybody else which is I don't all know. expressive and like disgusted right. by things that are happening, and like the Batman who laughs, and Superman's just like. Mmm. <laughs> and I, and I, took, I took this opportunity because I was waiting in line with uh, Dan's friend Ethan, uh, and and he wanted to meet Gail Simone, and and Joshua Williamson was at that same signing at the same time, so. Um, I'm a huge Nailbiter fan, so and the, and the the booth had been giving away an issue of that Batman Superman with that art on it, and I I was just, I walked up and I was just like they gave this to me and I'm a huge fan of Nailbiter basically is what I said, um, and then he signed it and he he actually signed it right on Superman's dead eyes which was great, um, so so that was nice, uh, but otherwise like yeah meeting Tom King was another big that was big huge. highlight that was the main person I wanted to meet that yeah. entire weekend he is one of my favorites not only just like in comics today but in general i think his body of work is just amazing mm-hmm. um chair of babylon mr miracle his batman run was just so good um and it was awesome and a big highlight of that too <clears throat> it's a reoccurring joke on his instagram that um he will take sketch cover variants of comic books which are for those of you who don't know just blank white sometimes like black cardstock um, cardstock yeah covers. so you can like get an artist to do some artwork on it uh and uh tom king can't draw he just well actually he can't <laughs> he just uh... he just i'm joking he just draws stick figures and basically anybody asks him to you know just draw whatever and yeah whatever kind of scene so um thankfully at the dc booth they also had just these card this blank you know just cards um they could i guess have like an artist do a sketch and um, the character of Kite Man was a big part <laughs> yeah. of, uh, Tom King's Batman run, so I just had him draw Kite Man for me, and it's this really horrible looking stick figure <laughs> rendition of Kite Man. He wrote Sorry at the bottom yeah. of it, which was super funny. It was, it was really great. fun. Um, yeah, that was super awesome meeting him, obviously, uh, with Dan and I both being huge fans of his, and... Um, you know, after this, I'm sure we'll lead right into the Strange Adventures review, um, yeah. which is, uh, you know, obviously, no surprise, a great book. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll get definitely get into it more, but, um, yeah, that was awesome to meet him. 
um, and Sean Murphy, and uh, we also, when we went through Artist Alley, we met Joe Quinones. Big um, highlight. What a sweet guy. Yep. He, he was, was so awesome. super nice. He did, like, these awesome little uh, signature slash uh, sketches for us on our books. Mm-hmm. Dan bought a volume one of Dial H for Hero, and I bought uh, issue 10, which was the only one I hadn't had yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was super nice to kind of support him that way. Um, and a, yeah, just a super nice dude. Yeah, um, did like a little sketch for it, uh, Dial D for Daniel and mine, wrote Dial M for Michael yeah. on his copy issue 10. Um, it was great. It was it was super cool. Um, grabbed a new art book from Babstar. Babstar is like one of my favorites. I think she's super great. Um, it was cool meeting her again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, was there anyone else? I, uh, I actually met Michael, unfortunately, I wasn't here for this, but on Saturday, uh, I met and went... Lee Weeks, who is a yeah. comic book veteran. I mean, that guy has been around, I think, since like the early 80s, maybe like earlier than that. Yeah. And that guy is such an underrated artist. I feel like nobody really ever brings him up. Oh, he's so great. sad, and his yeah. style is so fucking mm-hmm. cool. Like, everything he touches is just awesome. Yeah. Like, he's a great Batman artist. He's drawn Spider Man a few times, and that looks really incredible. Um, got to meet him. Uh, Picked up a art print for Michael. Yeah. Um, had him sign it, which is super cool. Just really cool guy. Unfortunately, I think he's hard of hearing, so like kind of talking with him was a little difficult. Yeah. But when I walked up, uh, speaking of sketch covers, he was doing a sketch of Doctor Doom for somebody. Oh. He had like his phone out and he was like referencing it. It's this cool <laughs> ass awesome. looking Doctor Doom portrait on yeah. a, an issue of Fantastic Four. When I came up and met him and. So what a nice so cool. man. Yeah, it was really awesome. Um, we didn't meet any of the celebrities. No, I saw, we saw Spenguli. We saw Spenguli. Uh, when we were up in the cafe uh, on like the second floor <laughs> that kind of overlooks the entire showroom floor, we saw Spenguli walking around with the, with his rubber chicken. Um, of course. Met, uh, I met with Ethan um, Lloyd Kaufman of Troma yeah. uh, and Toxic Avenger fame. Um, that was super interesting. Talk about that. Um, <laughs> well, uh, he, he called me the R word. Uh, obviously, you know, if anyone knows Lloyd Kaufman uh, or knows his movies, he's obviously a very um outspoken uh just offensive guy you know like i don't know you know not in any harmful way right. but it's kind um, of this whole thing it's this whole shtick right yeah. that's the whole thing about trauma movies you know um and and yeah we we walked up and and they had a whole trauma booth and they were selling all these different movies and um uh ethan picked up a umd psp copy of uh trey parker matt stone's cannibal the musical Mm. uh which is just like the weirdest um not the movie but the fact that they had a umd (laughs) copy of this uh is just the weirdest thing to me um and and obviously something you know would just be a novelty item right but it was only five bucks so he picked that up and then he got uh lloyd kaufman to sign it and uh as we're looking as we're standing there um I just, like, joked, and it was just like, are any of these movies good? Like, you know, pointing to the table, and Loikoff is just like, no, they're all just shit. And then, like, the, the, his, like, you know, this woman that was with him was like, no, they're great, they're ex-. And he was just like, yeah, you gotta, you just gotta be nice to them, you know? And then he just got into this little thing. It was so funny. It was so weird. Um, That's hilarious. I, I think that kind of caps off the extent of, like, meeting people. We saw Joe Hill, and I really wanted to meet Joe Hill, but he was busy... 
uh, just talking just to an artist or, uh, or a comic writer? Benjamin Percy, who is the writer of X-Force, and he's writing a Wolverine ongoing. Yeah, they and... were just, like, at an artist alley at Benjamin Percy's uh, booth and just talking for, like, ten minutes. And we were just standing there waiting for Joe Hill to kind of, like, walk away or... I don't know, do something, maybe sign something, but... Uh, the whole thing happened. was very strange, because... So on one end, you had a lot of people just kind of waiting around who seemed to want to maybe meet Benjamin right. Percy, but then you also had people like us who were kind of <laughs> lingering because uh, Joe Hill is there, yeah. you know? I Obviously, mean, big star, big... Great writer, yeah. Stephen King's son, right. which, God, it was crazy seeing him up close and how similar they yeah. look and like their mannerisms yeah. and stuff like he was doing like the like the finger bite kind of like, like yeah. nail biting Which, thing that uh Stephen King exactly does you see him do on his author pictures yeah. on like many of his yeah. books which is really wild um so that was cool but it, it was just like convention purgatory for a minute there yeah just nobody knew what to do but Benjamin Percy and Joe Hill were just chilling and some like handler came by and was like are you guys waiting for Benjamin Percy and we were like oh Oh, no, we're just walking around. Let <laughs> me just kind of stood around for a minute, kind of off to the side. <laughs> it would have been super cool to meet him, obviously, and, and have him side, brought some lock and key stuff, as well as uh, Basketful of Heads, which is this new DC book. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, whatever. That's yeah. fine. Um, otherwise, uh, we should probably, I mean, that probably covers most of the day outside of what we bought, so maybe we should get into some of that. What were yeah. some of your highlights? Um, got a lot of cool kind of like you know cheaper issues got a, I've been collecting the the Catwoman run from the 2000s a lot of the Adam Hughes covers from that run are stupid hard to find <laughs> and like usually go for a lot of money but I ended up picking up a lot of those for very cheap yeah um I got this extremely cool Blade Runner long sleeve shirt right. on Saturday um from this company called Pizza Party Press which they do just a lot of uh merchandise for kind of you know 80s cult hit movies, yeah. which is super cool. Um, we both uh, got that Bat Manga shirt from, Bat -manga. from uh, Graffiti, mm -hmm. right? That uh, was awesome. Uh, just got a lot of graphic novels that I've been wanting to pick up, but was able to find them on the cheap, like yeah. uh, Ice Cream Man Volume 1. Um, Marvel did this, uh, used to do this series of original graphic novels in the mid-80s, early 90s. Um, and there was this one called uh, Spider-Man um, Spirits of Earth that I've always mm -hmm. wanted to pick up. Got that for a really good deal. Um, yeah, it was super cool. I actually have, for you, after you talk about your haul, there's one thing I want to cap off about this sure. too that um, was a huge highlight. Like what a, It was like actually how I capped off the weekend, and oh. uh, I want to talk about yeah, that sure. for sure. Um, yeah, so I, um, I was able to pick up all of House of X and Powers of X there mm -hmm. uh, for a, a, a pretty damn good price, uh, all things told. Um, so that was really cool. I've read through one issue of that so far. It's very heady. It's, it's oh, a, yeah. lot. It's a um, lot. But I'm, I'm sure it probably all comes together at some point. Uh, but that first issue was, was very like, oh boy, what's going on? Right? Um, it also felt like when I read that, it felt like I was reading that for a half hour. Oh, yeah. And it was only like 10 minutes. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just um, so much. I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I understood half of it, but, um, so I picked up that, I, I, I picked up a bunch of, uh, Gerald Jones's Catwoman run, her, her, uh, latest series, um, really excited to start reading that, um, the, the 
big thing I wanted to get out of this weekend was to find a ki- uh, copy of issue one of Farmhand. Mm-hmm. Could not find any Farmhand basically anywhere, um, especially not the first issue. Um, so that was unfortunate. But then, uh, yeah, picked up some graphic novels, finally got that Chris Claremont, Frank Miller Wolverine that I've, you know, been meaning to read forever. Um, you know, the, we, Dan also got that Spirits of the Earth. I, I got that as well. Um, what else did I grab? Uh, oh, the, the Spider-Man Tangled Web, uh, volumes one and two, which I'm really excited to read. My, Dan, Dan keeps talking up so much. It's my favorite Spider-Man comic that yeah. ever exists. That um, is the best series ever. It's, uh, if you're not familiar with it, um, Marvel, when they were kind of way riskier in the early 2000s, um, did a series where they would just hire, like, the best of the best in indie creators yeah. to just do these stories that maybe lasted no more than one to three issues and just told, you know, original Spider-Man tales, non-continuity, and just ran wild with it. Yeah. Obviously, that's something that we both would really love. And right. I wish there were more series like that, like, happening yeah. today. Like, it would be so great. But yeah. What can yeah. you do? <laughs> um, great and, book. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of most of the extent of what I what I picked up there. But um, it was a great time. Oh, um, wow. We, you know, obviously, um, there was a lot of great booths there with a lot of very expensive uh, issues of, you know, the first appearance of Spider-Man and... Um, <laughs> first appearances of Batman and stuff like that that were just like there must have, there was one wall like right at the front of the uh of the event that must have had like seven copies of the first uh appearance of Spider-Man which and, is insane uh, along with you know a hundred other very expensive books this wall must have been a million dollars of comics on on this in this one booth uh it's like how do you acquire five or more copies I, of the first appearance I, of Spider-Man. Literally one of the rarest books yeah. to ever exist. All and, the most and, expensive books to ever exist. And all, all rated and graded. All um, just varying degrees of, of uh, quality. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was insane. Yeah, all those it's Spider-Man so issues. Insane. I think the cheapest one was like 30k. Uh, Which is nuts. Yeah. Um, that stuff is always mind-boggling to me. I, I, I would love to just like follow somebody around who like buys that stuff. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, know someone like that, actually. But, um, <laughs> we don't need to really get into that. No. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And, and you, you said you wanted to, to finish off with something? Yeah, um, so last thing I did on Saturday, it was very cool. Um, big fit, I'm a, as a big animation fan, I, I really love this dude, uh, Gendy Tretikovsky, yeah. the creator of, um, such shows as Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack. Um, he had a actually hand. the creator of Dexter's Lab. He is. Wow. Um, he went in that in his. Uh, he he essentially gave a lecture, like an hour long lecture huh. at C two E two, which was so cool. Um, essentially, Dexter's Laboratory was a short that he did um, when he because I guess he lived in Chicago for a while, like when he was like a young kid, and he went to yeah. Columbia in Chicago, and he did. Uh, a short with you know which is basically like proto dexter's laboratory yeah and um yeah he just went on this whole lecture about his career uh, you know his work in animation what like he measures he had to take to you know kind of make it in animation and his jobs and it was, it was really really awesome because he showed footage of what essentially was a uh like proto version of dexter's laboratory that cartoon network at that time um which was the mid-90s when that show you know aired 
um, they were just kind of hiring like whoever they thought was like very interesting or huh. had interesting ideas. And it will probably surprise nobody that that era of Cartoon Network, basically the people who are in charge of Adult Swim since that inception to now were the head of Cartoon Network then. Hmm. And they had, you know, they were looking for kind of more raw talent in terms of animation. They saw the short was like, let's order a series of this. <laughs> and then that happened. And That's, it was it was really, really cool. Like, it great. was just super cool hearing him talk and, you know, talk about his career and, you know, show footage. He had a incredible series on Adult Swim last year called Primal, and he announced season two of mm -hmm. that and even showed a, a teaser for it, which it looks great. Yeah. I'm so excited for that show. That is genuinely one of the most brutal cartoons I think I've ever seen, which uh -huh. is crazy coming from him. <laughs> like, it is so violent, but it is just such a, a visceral and intense show, and it's cool to hear that's I, coming I, back. I definitely need to get to that uh, at some point. You'll finish it in one second. Yeah, right. It's like an hour, hour and a half, right? Basically. Altogether, yeah. yeah. It's it's great. It's Movie just, length. I should I should definitely just run through that at some point. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to hear that's coming back, and it's cool to hear him talk. It's like, yeah. it was one of those things where um, it, it was kind of mind-blowing to me how much that dude's work has been like a part of my life and yeah. like, for how long it has and like when he was running it down and he even i guess did work on batman the animated series which i never knew that huh. um it was it was really cool it was like a really cool way to cap off that weekend yeah that's awesome yeah um yeah so that kind of covers all of our uh, c2e2 goings on mm -hmm. um did you want to just very quickly get into strange adventures or, Let's do. or... while we're talking about comics yeah. absolutely um so kind of give me an overview of uh, strange adventures and, and what that series is kind of so strange adventures is it follows adam strange which is this character that i want to say has been around since maybe the excuse me, early to mid-60s in D.C. Um, he is a sort of like Buck Rogers cosmic adventurer type yeah. character who comes from the planet Ran. Um, and his series essentially is like, you know, him like being a uh, an Earthling living on this planet, you know, fighting space monsters and going on adventures. Right. And being involved in like the Ran War. They usually like spar off against uh, the... Planet Thanagar, which is basically like where the Hawkman character and Hawkgirl mm -hmm. come from. So, so the the conceit again is that uh, he is a human, mm -hmm. right? And he and he's he's somehow transported to this this other world, the dimension, exactly, uh, right? And and that's where he kind of lives his heroic life, right? Whereas yep. like on on Earth, he's kind of he's not really anybody. Is that the case? Essentially, I mean, he's, uh, like, regarded, you know, as a hero, and obviously okay. it's kind of addressed in the book. Yeah. You, like, the book, I mean, in total Tom King fashion, completely humanizes this completely outlandish character, uh -huh. much like Mr. Miracle did, so a majority of the first issue, you see him going to book signings on Earth, and, you know, people are so excited to meet him and yep. hear about his adventures, and da-da-da. Also, it's very ironic reading that after coming off of CTE2, <laughs> and, you know... Meeting him. And... Meeting Tom King and stuff, but, um... Yeah, so... And the parallels, kind of, with Tom King being... Tom King having been in war, yeah. right? Like, there's it's kind crazy. of... It's kind of weird It's a very weird about. cosmic... Uh, coincidence that happened yeah. with the release of that book, us reading it at this time. It's it's interesting. So the first issue, um, you're the where the series is going exactly so far. Um, so we're basically getting the two sides of Adam Strange. You get right. the cosmic adventurer, war hero, who's you know you see his adventures and what he does. It's, mm -hmm. it's essentially like so. I mean, the first issue 
gives you that he's promoting this book on Earth about right. his life. It's like you're kind of reading the book, and then you're also actually seeing his real life. And then the way they illustrate that is super cool, because it's, there's two artists on this book. There's uh, Ethan Doc Trainer who is doing kind of the more fun adventure, you know, very, like, clean-looking, yeah. you know, just... This is Adam Strange balancing from, you know, planet to planet, galaxy to galaxy, you know, doing his thing, fighting space monsters. And then you get the Mitch Gerard's art, which steeps him in the real world and you kind of find out maybe a lot of what he's been doing on his adventures like could have some really bad consequences for him yeah and maybe he's kind of abusing his power and abusing his you know his role as an adventurer and it's great yeah it's it's such a great first issue um it's such a great intro to this yeah i like that it uh i feel like i mean frankly i'm not that familiar with adam strange like i've just I've no, seen, I know nothing about him, so... I've seen the character around on a lot of things and, you know, like, involved in, like, different runs or books, but I've never read a story with him, so I'm excited to get to know this character, yeah. you know, get to know him via uh, Tom King's lens, which is, is super cool. Yeah, um, you know, don't have too much to say since it's only one issue of a comic, right? Um, but I will say that... Right off the bat, this is very much a, a direct kind of uh, spiritual successor to something like Mr. Miracle. Oh, if you yeah. like Mr. Miracle, this is right up your alley. Um, very uh, adult-leaning uh, superhero comic, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> definitely has a lot of parallels, I think, to just just in how it's written and the, the subject matter to something like Mr. Miracle. Um, and And... You know, I just want to make note of just how wonderful this book looks. Oh God! Uh, between it's great. both uh, Shainer and Gerard's, it's 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 stunning to look at, and the way that it it um, you know how they flip between both uh, styles, it just it works so well, um, and and they're really juggling a really fantastic story here. I think just even through this first issue, uh, the mystery of you know it kind of comes to light that, uh, that someone. Who had, who had come to one of his signings, uh, kind of, like, blew up on him and, and accused him of, like, being a, basically, like, a, a space terrorist, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of thing. He's um, war crimes. War I mean, crimes, right. You know. um, and that man ends up uh, dead, and it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's assumed, maybe, that, that it was uh, Adam Strange who, who did it. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that there's a scene in this first issue uh, where he goes and meets Batman, and he kind of like asks Batman, uh, <laughs> so Adam Strange good. kind of asks Batman to kind of clear his name and, or, you know, like, look into this and be the world's best detective and, and give your uh, consensus on what actually happened to this guy, and Batman's just like, you know, I know you, and we're <laughs> friends, and we've been friends for a long time, I can't. In, in good faith really do that. Right. Um, I thought that was a, a really interesting thing. It was uh, great. I, it was so unexpected to right. see Tom King squeeze Batman yeah. into the story, which he never really did that in Mr. Miracle. Like, he never really, you know, incorporated other characters. He only ever got these, like, you know, kind of references with uh, t-shirts yeah with and you get that Scott again free wearing like you know superhero shirts yeah, yeah that and that, that, that happens again in this with like all the people coming up to uh adam strange at the at the book signing everyone's you know one's got a batman <laughs> one's got a, a green lantern maybe you know they all uh -oh. have like different shirts um or black canary i think maybe was one of them uh it, it's really cool it's awesome um it's a great book um and i'm, I'm really looking forward to to seeing it through actually. oh me too i think it's gonna be a great series um 
And it's it's your like you said, it's it's such a great parallel to Mr. Miracle, whereas um Mr. Miracle is all, you know, just a book kind of about basically finding yourself through maturity and mm-hmm. just like maturity in general and you know, just becoming your own person. This book kind of feels more about responsibility and uh like use of one's power and it's like great to see like I hope this is I hope this isn't the end of this. Like I hope we kind of get you know, maxi series, More series like this, like this yeah. from Tom King, Gerard's, whoever wants to collaborate with them. I would be fine if this was what he did for the rest of his career. You know? Honestly, like, yeah. In, instead of having, like, big, ongoing 85-issue Batman books, you know, like, if he just did these maxi series, which he's obviously stellar at doing with, you know, Vision and Omega Men and Sheriff of Babylon, even, even outside of something like Strange Adventures and Mr. Miracle, like, he's got a great... Uh, repertoire of, of of books that he's made that are these twelve issue maxi series. He should just do that forever. Absolutely. <laughs> at this point, you know. Also, just the fact that he's touching on characters that frankly have not been touched on in like forever, yeah. or like maybe have only been used in small in small ways. Um, it almost feels like reinventions to like all these characters. Yeah. It kind of makes them feel like original ideas. Like it feels like create like a creator own comic essentially, and it's. It's so refreshing to have that, you know, put out by DC, yeah. and it's obviously great to have, you know, a writer like Tom King at the helm of these, because it's awesome, and yeah, I'm I'm so pleased with that first issue, as you said, I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah, um, yeah, so I think that, that probably uh, caps off our, our comic book talk. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit about Barry. Hell yeah. Hello everybody and welcome back to Infinite Canvas Ultra. So we are now going to go into a new segment that I like to call Michael got an HBO account and caught up with shows that I've been talking about on this show for the last year. <laughs> and I am so excited for this because he has been watching two of my favorite shows yeah. in 2019. Um, of course, Barry, as we mentioned in the intro, and he is on episode three of Watchmen, which yeah. was my favorite show of last year. So. Lay it on me. Let's dive into them. What do you want? HBO to start is awesome. It, right? it seems um, it's the even best. even outside of uh, I would say even outside of those two shows, which I'm you know I'm now done with Barry and I'm uh, three episodes through Watchmen. Um, there's a just a plethora of other shows that I need to watch that are HBO as well. It's pretty um, much the best in television. I mean, yeah. I think it stands above Netflix. It stands above Amazon. Just uh, yeah. the quality of their shows are just. Always great. And, and it's probably, you know, there's really great quality shows on an Amazon and a Netflix, but the thing with that is that, like, there's so much. Mm-hmm. There's just so much content that, that, you know, you go on Netflix every given week, there's going to be something new, and 95% of it is going to be shit, or something yeah. you just don't care about. Whereas, like, looking through H- what HBO has right now, it's like, everything is interesting. I want to watch that Outsider show, that Stephen King show, uh, McMillions, which is, like, the story of how, like, someone played the uh the mcdonald's monopoly and like stole like 24 million dollars from mcdonald's in like the 90s or something i need to start um, that too i'm really interested in that um definitely recommend uh vice principles hmm. um uh that that creator of that show had another show which i'm blanking out right now it's like something about a 
a church, which I need to start that one. But yeah, no, Vice Principals is an amazing show. I don't think I've heard of that one. Walton Goggins and Danny McBride. Oh, okay. Yeah, that show is great. (laughs) That's got me interested. That Um, show is so great. You know, obviously Chernobyl I still need to get into. I'm excited for the next season of Westworld, Mm -hmm. um, which I had watched the first season of Westworld and loved it, and I think I skipped the second because it was supposed to be bad. But hopefully the third's good. Um, but yeah, uh, let's get into Barry. Barry is just a phenomenal show. Just downright it's amazing. Just so, so amazing the way that it is just so darkly serious, but also incredibly funny yeah. at the same time, which being that it's, you know, created by Bill Hader, um, he's like, you know, one of the head writers of the show, it really makes me love Bill Hader so much. Like, yeah. I I was, like, somebody who just kind of appreciated him and thought he was, like, cool and, you know, was in, like, you know, pretty funny dude all around. But this is such a... Uh, it just really shows him as a creative. And it, I love his, his mind. Like, his, <laughs> I love his knack for, like, writing, directing. It's so original. Like, yeah. there really is nothing else, like what Barry is and like his vision for this show and right. it's it's absolutely great it, it seriously is just um like Dan said the way that it toes the line between being really deathly serious but also ridiculous and funny at the same time it's it's such a you know obviously there are a lot of different um you know other properties that do similar things but the way that it's handled in Barry I think is just it's it's like a masterpiece almost you know like it it, it, it it's it's created by Bill Hader and and mostly written and also uh, sometimes directed by him it, it it's it seems like a very it seems like someone who has had a lot of experience creating television or you know making their own stories whereas like Bill Hader this as far as I know might be the only writing credit to his name you know like big yeah. actual thing that he's done because I don't think he's directed any films or written any films or anything the only thing that comes to um, mind for me is I know he's you know obviously written skits on SNL sure. when he was on SNL yeah. but nothing like this nothing where it's an original show this so. is like so it, it's it's really fascinating that this is like kind of his first foray into really making his own thing um, especially with given how great it is um so yeah i just i just finished through uh the second season yesterday um and man this show is it's just it's it's really phenomenal that i i was uh i messaged dan yesterday about the uh the ronnie episode which, which which comes up uh halfway through the second season uh which is maybe one of the best episodes of tv of the last few years uh it's just it's so this is like the perfect episode for that balance. Uh, well, actually, no. I, honestly, this episode really uh, skews into the ridiculous and funny mm-hmm. side of things. It's still dark, of course, because the show is is rooted in that. Uh, obviously, being that that the if you don't know the conceit of the show, it's it's about uh, Bill Hader's character Barry, who is a uh, uh, ex war vet uh, who has become an assassin. Uh, post-war and uh, in following uh, one of his hits he follows him into a acting class a theatrical acting class and Barry kind of decides that uh, leading this life of assassination is not for him and he wants to do something better with his life and and be a normal person and so he wants to become an actor 
Um, and, and so the show is always rooted in this darkness, obviously, of the, you know, the haunted past of Barry, um, you know, his handler, Fuchs, who, who just continues to lead him on into, into doing more hits and, and working with these bad people. Now, Fuchs is played by Stephen Root, who you will recognize immediately if you want, like, one quick example. He was in Get Out. Yeah. Uh, he was in the, the auction, like, the, the, blind, the blind person in the, the auction. Photographer. Um, yeah, a character actor that has been in fucking so much, and uh-huh. he is so incredible. Yeah, Henry show. Winkler's in this as the, the acting uh, coach, uh, acting teacher, and he is amazing in this. Um all the all the side characters I will say are are phenomenal in this. Like all the all the characters in the in the theater group oh, yeah. are just so fun. Those are like the funniest bits to me. Are just like all the bits with them. Like um, I'm blanking on all their names, but there's like the the the, the black dude who who at, at the at one point point in the season a character gets killed and he he believes that that like one of the other actors did it and he just like he's like don't look at me you fucking you fucking murderer and it's just like so funny yeah, um, everybody yeah i mean all these ba- like characters that are kind of you know second tier characters like and it's genius having that you know it being you know part of it's part of an acting troupe because you, you have like a relatively large ensemble cast yeah. in the show nobody's a throwaway nobody's like you know just a background yeah. character. they all have distinct personalities and they all have you know just really funny dialogue and like funny banter and yeah there's, there's always a good moment in that which is awesome um it's it's you know i don't know you know how much we really want to talk about it obviously dan's been kind of away for it from it for a year or so um and you know maybe his his uh recollection of it isn't isn't so on point uh, at this point but this show is just it's so funny it's so um just suspenseful too like absolutely um it, it just really tells such a great story and and you know with all these great characters um it it's there's never a, a boring moment in the show no. it's, it, everything seems purposeful all of the stuff in the second season with Noho Hank. Um, my is, favorite character in the show. He is the best. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, the, some of the scenes in the in the second season with him are, are just, like, laugh out loud. So, it's just so funny. <laughs> Especially uh, once you actually see the visual of Noho Hank, who is just this completely hairless Chechenian <laughs> mobster and, you know... Especially there's a bit in the first episode of the second season where he's wearing a disguise that's obviously... <laughs> Super obviously funny. him and and he like kind of plays it off like it's not him and it's it's just the funniest he he's he's almost like um i would almost describe his character as kind of like a drax or something oh, yeah. where he kind of like from guardians of the galaxy where he just doesn't understand people it seems like but he's also super just good nature yeah just lovable and kind really yeah to everybody that he comes in the contact um, with. but he's so funny uh, and he, he obviously I love the the bromance be- between <laughs> him and Barry and and then also him and um, um, I'm blanking on the the uh, Bolivian uh, leader's name, but that whole whole thing. Oh, Cristobal. Cristobal, yeah. I, I love that so much. Um, it's it's such a great show. It's really, oh, it's phenomenal. I'm so glad you watched it. Like, without a doubt, I think it's just one of the most. It's just incredible shows that come about in the last few years. And, you know, like, I'd heard from so many people that it's the best show, right? And so when I went into it, I was kind of like, 
I don't know if I would say I was ready to be disappointed, but, like, that was always there, where it was like, okay, this has been talked up so much, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about it, mm-hmm. that it, it's held to such a high standard, and it somehow has exceeded... That's great. It's, like, what I expected it to be. Um, it's it's seriously one of the best shows on TV today. It absolutely is. I cannot wait for season three. Yeah. Hopefully this fall. Um, yeah, and especially with the way that... Season two ends. Um, it ends on such god. a, you know, just cliffhangery. Like yeah. God, I cannot wait to see where the story goes and you know what happens next. So, now had you watched the first season when it was out, or did you come to it at the second season? I came to it at the second okay. season. Okay, so like you also didn't have like the wait between. Uh, funny enough, I actually watched all of the first season within, uh, like, three days before season two came okay. out, and then I watched season two week every to week. week, yeah, nice. which was perfect, yeah. like, because, yeah, after seeing the first season, I immediately wanted more, Yeah. and then, um, yeah, I got it with season two, and, yeah, I, I think also season two might be, like, my preferred season of the show. I think just, like, a lot of the avenues yeah. that it goes is... And especially for, like, the Ronnie Wooly episode. I mean, it's... <laughs> that is some of the best television oh I've ever god, seen. Oh my god, that episode is so ridiculous. episode is so absurd and just so incredibly written and so incredibly directed that it's a perfect episode. Yeah. There is nothing I can fault that episode for. That episode is so, um, like, it doesn't fit kind of the, the very rooted in reality, uh, you know, the the fact that all the rest of the episodes are so, like, rooted in in this realism, and this Ronnie Lily episode gets to some really weird places, uh, with those characters, um, and I just loved it so much. It's incredible. Um, it, it was so cool to see them kind of branch out in that way and, and do something so weird. Um, so, how are you feeling about Watchmen so far? I mean, you're three episodes into it. Watchmen is, likewise, just phenomenal. It's like, you know, it, it's definitely a much harder show, I think, to, to kind of, like, binge through. It, it's, it's very... Um, Barry, Barry, you know, being, like, half-hour episodes and, like, all the characters are so likable and everything, it's just, like, really easy to breeze through. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, something like Watchmen is very um, intense and um, and so weird and, like, a lot of the characters are just, like, it's just very odd. Yeah, it's um, very high concept. It's very, yeah, very high concept. Um, but I've been loving it. Um, I, so I'm through episode three, uh, which is the introduction to Silk Spectre again, um, as, as this like grizzled, uh, veteran FBI agent, um, who's, who's putting a stop to any and all vigilantism in, in America. Um, and yeah, the, the series is just, it, you know, Obviously, the Watchmen book, uh, the comic series, is one of the all-time greats, one of the most influential and important comics, maybe the most influential and important comic ever created. Yeah. Um, and and it's really great. You know, obviously the show could have come out and been just a terrible retread of that, or if they were, you know, even if it were a sequel and, and in the wrong hands, it could have been just so poorly handled, but it's obvious that, um, that, uh, Damon Lindelof knows what he's doing and knows how to treat these characters and and this world and has brought the, the, uh, 
politics and themes of the 80s Watchmen, like the what what mattered in Watchmen in the 80s when it was written and and brings that forward to today to connect Absolutely. it to our time, right? And Absolutely. it's it's really something special. It's the perfect sequel to the comic, which is kind of insane that one that there could be something that, you know, would be a worthwhile sequel to that book right. and also the fact that it came in the form of a show mm-hmm. um, and that it's done and then it's achieved as well as it is. It's really, really amazing because yeah. this picks up right from the book. Um, I was worried when the show was announced that it would be kind of just, you know, a TV show version of, 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 the, right. of the comic, but instead we get that same world and we get a slew of new characters that just enhance this world and make yeah. it so much better and actually feel like, yeah, these are the characters that, you know, would appear like further down the road in 2019 in this world, you yeah. know? Like, some, yeah. Well, I was just going to say like some really high concept stuff in there. Um, you know, they're the, the politics, uh, that they're getting into, you know, with, with police brutality and, and, um, the state of our government uh, today, with like you know, obviously in in the, in the show, it's it's President Robert Redford instead mm-hmm. of you know President Trump, um, and just the parallels that they do between our real world and and this this fictional uh, superhero laden world, it, it's it's really something special. Um, it, it's really great. It is absolutely love that series. I can't wait for a, we'll definitely have to talk about yeah. the rest of it when you finish it. Yeah, I'm sure once once I'm once I'm done with it we can do like a, a big recap of it all or something, but um, That'd be great. And and at that point I would also I should also read through the original comic again at some point here. Sure. Um, maybe we do a Watchmen show or That'd or be something. great. Um, I would I, love the excuse to reread and yeah, watch both those things. Because I, I haven't I haven't actually read Watchmen since early high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there were concepts and and you know, uh, themes that were lost on me back then. Um, I reread it like maybe two or three years ago. But um yeah, I'm always down to read that. Yeah, book. so it's one of the best comics. I definitely ever made. need to read read through that again, and then and uh, get through this series, uh, which has, like I said, just been just superb from so far. Absolutely. And I'm loving seeing all these characters again um, handled so well. Osmandius is is the biggest oddball of them all. I have no idea what's going on with him yet, um, and I'm so just, excited just to... Just you wait. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Irons' performance as Osmandius is just so great. It's, it's pitch perfect. You get... Basically, how the show goes, you, know, you get, obviously, the narrative of what's happening in the story, but then all of a sudden it just kind of cuts either towards the end or maybe in the middle of an episode, and you check in on what <laughs> Osmandius is up to for yeah. about 10 minutes or so, and it's always something incredibly weird. And yep. You're left wondering, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is he in this, like, sort of, you know, weird, uh, like, rural area and this castle, like, what is happening? And, yeah, just you wait. It's it's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) I'm I'm super excited to to watch the rest. Um, But, yeah, HBO has been uh, just great to have uh, in the last few weeks since I started watching all this stuff. And uh, I'm excited to get into more. Um, and watch the rest of Watchmen and wait on Barry when it finally comes out later this year, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, I guess um, that kind of does it on our, our TV uh, check-in. I, I guess we'll take a break here and come back with our review of Leigh Whannell's uh, Invisible Man. Let's do it. 
After a few unremarkable endeavors in reinventing the Universal MonsterVerse, which gave us 2014's Dracula Untold and 2017's The Mummy, the studio that originally gave us Frankenstein and the Wolfman is attempting a course correction from the big-budget PG-13 action horror flicks to more subdued, less costly and mature pictures, the first of which is Leigh Whannell's The Invisible Man. Following up on his modest success with 2018's incredibly fun Upgrade, Leigh Whannell, who also co-wrote the original Saw, has been tapped to create a reimagining of H.G. Wells' Invisible Man story, this time seen through the eyes of a woman attempting to escape from an abusive relationship. With its minuscule budget, the, po the prowess of a powerful and impressive leaning woman in, in Elizabeth Moss and the backing of Bloomhouse, is it possible that Universal has made the first right step back on track with their dark universe? Um, I don't think they made a right step. I think they sprinted towards something that is just so incredible and so unexpected to take, you know, this franchise, like the universal monster characters. Yeah. Um, I, so this was, I, I wasn't, this, before going into this, I wasn't really like following this film too much. I wasn't either. Um, I honestly wasn't even aware that the Invisible Man movie had come out until you texted me about it, <laughs> wanting to go see it. And then later on that weekend, you told me that this was the maker of, or the director of Upgrade. Mm -hmm. I fucking love Upgrade. <laughs> I think that movie is such a underrated, just incredible action film. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love like the tone of that film. It almost kind of reminds me of... Uh, of drive a little bit and it's mm. like it's like this very quiet subdued action film that has these like moments of intensity where yeah it needs these to. big pops right and it it just evokes like just such a great feeling and uh when i heard that he was at the helm of this it's like hell yeah i, I want to <laughs> see this even more and um even though all that considered i i didn't expect what we ended up getting no. with invisible man um because all those things that I just mentioned that, you know, focus on feeling and uh, what this movie does with taking this premise of, you know, the Invisible Man and turning it into this psychological drama, this film about psychological abuse. And physical abuse. And physical abuse. Just incredible. I yeah. can't even believe that. I, I'm still, this is like almost a week after we've seen this and I'm... I'm still in disbelief that this is what we got from yeah. this, and I could not be happier. Especially coming off of, um, obviously, uh, Universal's Dark Universe, which they announced, I don't know, I want to say probably five or six years ago, um, with the creation of, you know, that Dracula Untold movie, which just looks abysmal, and, oh, yeah. the, and Tom Cruise as the mummy... Uh, which also looked, looked abysmal. abysmal. <laughs> um, and then, you know, they, they had made cast... They had, like, this big cast photo with... Um, Johnny Depp was originally supposed to be in this Invisible Man movie, and uh, I think Russell Crowe was going to be the Wolfman or something in, in their own movies. Mm -hmm. um, it just... It, they were going down a terrible path with this. They wanted, I, to, they wanted to make the MCU, but with... Universal monster. Exactly. I, I kind of relate this, uh, like the Invisible Man, um, specifically to to kind of how I would say Shazam has kind of course corrected DC mm -hmm. uh, in their universe, their their motion picture universe, um, where you know before DC was making these honestly pretty terrible movies. Uh, maybe Wonder Woman would maybe kind of be the the first step in that yeah. direction it's an outlier um, it's yeah it's a, it's a good film but like shazam was kind of the 
every ever since Shazam, it's kind of been a, an upswing, right? Right. Um, and, and and I'm hoping that this could be the same with the Stark universe. But I think it will. I think a lot of big studios are kind of wising up to the fact that going in this interconnected universe yeah. is approach is a thing that only works for marvel yeah that they're the only ones that should be doing i mean it it could work it could work for other things it could have worked for dc had they not tried to speed up the process you know in making it took five or six films to get to avengers right or whatever exactly and with dc it took them two to get to batman v superman and then justice league is a huge mistake and I'm glad that that's been a failure because yeah. I'm I'm glad that what it's bringing out in big production companies it's, it's bringing out more of an attention to detail more of a focus on filmmaking yeah. and doing things on it, it blows my mind that this film was made on seven million dollars it does not look like it was made on that budget no. at all and I'm glad that like you know the previous Mummy film and what DC was trying to do have been such you know critical and commercial failures because. It's so refreshing to get actual voices coming out in these big films. Yeah. Which I feel like is just not a thing that you have or wouldn't have. I mean, you definitely don't have that in MCU films as much as I love them. You don't have that. Had had the mummy made a billion dollars, we would have never seen this movie. And that you is know? that would be such a tragedy. Yeah, and it's really great having production companies, you know, get filmmakers and directors that have such distinct voices and really run wild with, you know, the what they have at their disposal and right. make films that you know they feel like it feels like it's made by. Leigh Barnell and like yeah. not by a, a committee. No, you know, it's, there's it's nothing. Great. There's nothing about this movie that that makes it feel like Universal had like the the higher ups at Universal had any sort of voice in the creation of this film. Um, I would honestly be surprised if they did because yeah. of how this film has kind of ended up being. It's I was I was so surprised the entire time. Just as it kept going on, I just kept thinking to myself. Wow, they're really gonna go in that direction. They're really gonna do this, like in the and I mean that in a very, very positive way. Yeah. It's just is so surprising. Yeah, it, this this movie is such an anomaly to me. <laughs> um, and it, it really, yeah, like I said, it makes me really excited for what they have next. I, I know that uh, Leigh has has signed on for another for a two year deal mm-hmm. uh, with with Bloomhouse and Universal for for I want to say with Universal. I know at least with Bloomhouse. Um, but I assume that that'll be kind of like a, a mingling of the three again uh, for for future endeavors in the in this kind of reimagining of the Universal uh, monster pictures. Um, there was one I saw the other day about um, I believe James Wan is producing a sort of Frankenstein esque uh, film for Universal next. Uh, where like a, a group of teenagers think that their neighbor is is like creating a monster in his basement, which could be like a super fun, kitschy That's kind awesome. of uh, a horror comedy flick or something. Um, so it really it really does uh, make me super excited for what's going forward. Um, but uh, so I, also, I also think this approach, I think this really revitalizes a lot of these properties. I feel like if you kind of just went about and made this, you know. A, a typical Invisible Man movie. One, it would look very silly in yeah. 2020, and two, I just don't think it has as wide of an appeal as this does. I mean, for, especially for being a movie that is, you know, kind of not being your traditional 
quote-unquote, I guess, monster film, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think taking the approach of just making it a straight-up thriller like this and with the idea of that project, that yeah. Frankenstein project, I think that's a way to get people to really care and take this seriously, right. which I feel like that's what they want and are achieving it. Yeah, um, and, and the fact that they can do it on these smaller budgets uh, just makes it an even better reason for them to do it, I feel like, you know, rather than sinking $190 million into a mummy movie and hoping that it makes enough money, like, um, you know, seeing, uh, you said that it was $7 million for this, and I think it's opening weekend made 30 in the U.S. alone, mm -hmm. so it's already recouping its budget, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm thinking that they probably won't even try to again to do like a mummy esque big picture like that at least anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so heading into this movie, um, like Dan said, I kind of wasn't really following it. Uh, I had, I don't think I'd even seen a trailer, or maybe I'd seen a bit of a trailer, but um, you know. Just knowing the the universal track record as of late, it, it didn't inspire me to really be excited about it. Mm -hmm. um, but then once the reviews came out and it was so positively uh, regarded and knowing that it was Leigh Whannell coming off of Upgrade, which, like Dan said, is a phenomenal underrated flick, um, I, I'm not surprised at all that this movie is this good. Oh, yeah. Um, so basically the, the, the plot line of, of this story... Um, if maybe you could help me with the main character's name, Cecilia, Cecilia, uh, who's played by Elizabeth Moss, um, is, is a, a woman, uh, who's, who's stuck in a, an abusive, uh, relationship with a, a man who's kind of like the, I don't know if he's the head of this, this, um, engineering, uh, like science, uh, technology company. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's, he's definitely, uh, you know, a very smart individual. Um, and this, this, her, uh, ex-husband of course being Adrian Griffin, the invisible man. Yeah. The character, the, the alias of the character. Right. In every other iteration of this. Um, oh, is that, is that right? Yeah. That's actually interesting. I've never actually seen any invisible man or read any of it. So, uh, this was kind of my first foray into this, this character, uh, in his universe. Um, but yeah, so she, uh, kind of escapes from, uh, from this relationship at first. And, it, you know, this isn't much of a spoiler, um, but it comes out that he has, he has killed himself, uh, since she has left him. Um, but you know, she's, she's, uh, living with some friends, um, recovering from this traumatic experience, um, and trying to get back on her feet, uh, and, and she keeps believing that someone's watching her or following her, this, uh, you know, as, as she would come to believe an invisible person, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, who she obviously, you know, ends up believing, uh, is her ex-husband. And, of course, uh, this movie is very much rooted in, um, you know, the the idea that you know women who who come forward with with abuse uh allegations like this can oftentimes be uh disbelieved uh and and it doesn't help that her assailant is a is an invisible man it's, um, it's that message taken to the highest extreme but it's with, it's with literally this. so brilliant because it's like it, you know even it's so great you could i could imagine someone you know 
some sexist, misogynistic man watching this movie and being like, oh, the, but he, he's invisible. How do they not know? But, like, he would, you know, be someone who wouldn't believe someone like that. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a very... It kind of. I, I hope that the message of this film kind of gets out there and and makes people understand what women go through and, uh, and people go through in situations like this. I'll save it for spoilers when we get kind of deeper into the, the plot of the movie. But uh, yeah, and the, just the avenues that it takes, where you see uh, the disbelief that people have for her and her situation, like yeah. where it takes her, and it's. You know, obviously, this being a movie about a woman traumatized by this person who has the power to turn invisible, I mm -hmm. mean, it goes in a very real avenue, and it goes in a way that, um, like, the way it plays on this this woman's struggles, like, with her mental health due to everything happening, it's, yeah. it's very real, like, for being something that's, like, you know, so out there, outlandish, right, and, right. and ridiculous, and... It's done in such a real, grounded way, and I'm just so impressed with it. Again, and, it's, and it's the way that it's achieved. I think it's floored both of us, yeah. In, in terms of how just the messages and and um, just how adult and mature this film is, Absolutely. you know. Um, again, this is an Invisible Man movie from Universal, you know. Like you think back to the '30s iteration of this, and it's a man walking around in in bandages and a top hat and sunglasses and it looks ridiculous today um i couldn't even imagine what what watching that movie is like today uh especially in comparison to something like this and i think what makes it so jarring and you can definitely throw the like comparison of uh dc films and universal what they're doing with this but i think with dc Shazam coming after a movie like Justice League it, or I guess Aquaman would have been the one after that. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, yes, it's something pretty tonally different and, you know, obviously like more quality than what preceded it, but this like coming from, you know, the last Mummy film which is this gigantic big budget spectacle yeah. um trying to be, you know, this startup for a new film universe. Going from that to this is just so jarring. Like, it's like being in a car accident. <laughs> yeah. It's so jarring. It's like, how? How it, did we get from this point to this point? It, it, you know, if this movie, if it wasn't produced by Universal and didn't have the Invisible Man name on it, it, it it's almost like it, it could be a different movie, right? right? Like, it could um, be just, like, you know, something similar, obviously, Invisible Man, but, like, if I, if this was sold to me as something else... And it was, like, by the filmmaker of, right. of Upgrade. It's like, oh, this is just his next movie. Right. Like, this is awesome. Like, I love yeah. this. Like, you know, why can't an Invisible Man movie be like this? <laughs> and then, sure enough, we, we, we got actually it. got that. We got it in the form of this. Um, and it's it's really um, it's really just an incredible movie. Like like I said, um, the themes of this movie and, and its message is, is really stellar. But it's also a it's also a very scary movie. It, it, it really... It's a slow it's a pretty slow movie to start. Um, I would say like the first hour or so is really just being around, like, uh, staying with, uh, Cecilia and, and seeing her in these, these moments where she's basically all alone and, and you're watching every corner of every frame to try and see if anything's moving, mm -hmm. um, so in the like, background. Where, Cause where you, you're like, looking for wondering. him the entire time. And, and when it finally, when the movie kind of comes to a boiling point, uh, it, it really takes such a shift, but it's such a, 
it's such a like there's so many amazing moments in this movie and i'm sure we'll get into all of them in the in the spoilers two in particular i know like both made us like kind of jump a little yeah. bit and audibly gasp yeah. like and it's when it eventually you know hits and it actually happens it's so surprising and just so like you said it's genuinely scary yeah i mean i i find a lot of the best horror to be ones that like films that kind of like rile up your anxiety a right bit. and i mean what a perfect concept and character to have yeah. that with yep. the invisible man and, and and i'll say this that the the film you know even with its seven million dollar budget looks incredible it, it's surprising that it was only seven million dollars to make this movie it really uh is. the special effects are are impeccable like it it's it, nothing about it made it seem like a a, a very low budget movie um and and yeah, it, it just works so well in in this film. Um, Especially when you get into this isn't necessarily a spoiler, but obviously there are bits where you see the suit, like how the Invisible Man is able to achieve yeah. you know, this effect of you know not being seen. The way that that looks, you get some really amazing effects of yeah. him kind of popping in and out of you know the line of sight, where you get like half of his body. I don't know how that was done for this amount of money. Like, yeah. I feel like just that effect alone and just how good it looks is, yeah. would be way more than that. But and and, hey. and the the um, the interaction between the Invisible Man and the environment around him it just all looks real. Mm-hmm. It, it, nothing about it looks fake or or anything like that. It, it's it's so it's so well done. And and I'll, I'll say that the uh, you know while the movie is slow, it it. it it is such an interesting uh, amount of segments that that they kind of go through with, um, you know, one one of the the early moments she she kind of walks outside and because she, she thinks she hears something outside or, or um, you know I I think actually the the front door opens and she follows it out there and she's she's outside and you can see her breath and behind her you know you see another person's breath but there's no one there you know it's all these very inventive like scenes and sequences that that really give the audience this 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 idea that there is someone else there that she's not crazy and it, mm-hmm. it's it's really well done um yeah i i i really loved this movie a lot me too. It, it floored me honestly it, it was uh, a great surprise let's give it a ring so we can get yeah dive really deep into <laughs> i'm it. dying to talk spoilers. more about some of the stuff um, I'm honest, I would give this a 9 out of 10. I feel honestly. the exact same way. It's, this is hands down a 9. It, yeah. it is so great, and I mean, no hyperboleness. It's a near-perfect movie. Yeah. It's, it, it's really, really great. It, it's, it's really the first sort of masterpiece of, of 2020, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it's crazy, I, going into this, I did not expect this to be something that, will linger around in my top 10 of the year yeah. for a while but i mean obviously being that we've only seen like three movies so far this year this is my number one yeah um yeah. but I, it will definitely linger around for a while i wouldn't be surprised if it maybe stayed in my top 10 when, once we get to december easily yeah um I, I i think it's it's obvious that we both love this movie a lot um, and we're both Jones in to, to talk a bit more about it. So, uh, we're going to cut this off, uh, for spoilers right now. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, feel free to skip ahead or, or come back. Uh, once you have seen the movie, we can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, we're getting into spoilers. Wow. Can we just, 
Oh boy. Um, I, the first moment I kind of want to point to is the scene with uh, her sister at the restaurant, which wow, is... Wow, yeah. That is, definitely was one of those gasp-inducing moments. That oh my god. so... Um, scary and and the way that this wraps around in the end and we'll get to that later is is so genius uh like the the full circle nature of of that the 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 restaurant scene to the final uh the final sequence is is and it's incredible it's great. Um, but yeah so so the scene that i'm, I'm mentioning now is um it, it's probably about halfway through the movie and and uh, uh cecilia has has kind of had a rough relationship with her her sister uh recently and um she's already been trying to convince people that uh her ex isn't dead and that he's stalking her to this day and and all this stuff and so she meets um her sister at a, at a restaurant at also this... let's preface uh of the invisible man involvement involvement in their relationship making it even worse um he sent an email as cecilia Claiming that you know she hates her right. and that you know they, they you know she wishes she was dead and so she was dead. So um, Adrian is already ruining Cecilia's life in this capacity, ruining this relationship with Cecilia and her sister. So they're having a dinner to you know reconcile, reconcile, and hopefully Cecilia can get you know her sister to believe that you know yeah. Adrian is at large and is ruining her life still. And it, it seems like you know obviously things are kind of. Uh, it, it, it's boiling up to her really trying to tell her, um, I, I believe at this point she has found the other, she's gone back to, uh, Adrian's home and she's found the suit. Mm -hmm. So she's about to tell her sister that she's found another one of these suits, um, which it, it's a suit that allows Adrian to become invisible. It's a, like this... Um, very futuristic, so cool, like sci-fi <laughs> tech, like the um, skin tight, like suit with all these like circular, almost looks like cameras camera or lenses mirrors or something that um, just wrap around the entire thing, so it obviously reflects light for yeah. it to be invisible. It's a, it's a so very cool. creepy design. Um, it's so and creepy. so so awesome. Uh, there's something that it kind of reminds me of, but I can't think of it. it um, it's, like, all at once really cool, but, like, very unnerving to yeah. look at, weirdly. Like, it just makes you uncomfortable when yeah. you see it, which is awesome. Um, but, yeah, as, as she's she's about to give up this this important uh, detail that she's found another one of these suits and she can actually prove that this is happening to her, um, a knife uh, that, you know, obviously at this, that, at this res restaurant, and a knife floats up and just slits the sister's throat. And then it gets, uh, you know, Adrian puts it into uh, Cecilia's hand and she's just in shock with a bloody knife in her hand as her sister is bleeding out and everyone out, everyone else around her is just freaking out. And it's just this moment of, it's just nothing you would expect. It's so out of nowhere and exactly. it's so perfectly handled. And the way that shot is so smart too because it almost just looks like you see the knife in your peripheral like the way it's shot yeah. it's sort of kind of coming in a little bit you could sort of see it coming in and then it makes the slash and it is it, you're you as the viewer just as shocked as cecilia is yeah. with that happening and it's it's terrifying it's such a scary moment it was such a it was like such a knockback of the you know watching this movie and like it seems like things are finally coming to you know someone's gonna believe her and and this was one of the scenes where I felt safe, where, like, Adrian isn't here with us. Like, 
you know, he could be somewhere, but, but I don't know. It just felt like it's just these two. They're in a public space. Mm. Nothing can happen. Nothing can go wrong. And then it does. Um, and then this spirals into her, you know, going to like a mental asylum. Um, Which is what I wanted to touch on too. Yeah. Like the whole, you know, <laughs> a situation where a woman is um, making these allegations about being abused and nobody believing her. And like taking that analogy, but also then wrapping this into it where it's driven her to the point of madness yeah. where she's committed because of it. Right. It's, it's just so smartly done. It's just yeah. so well executed. And the entire time when Cecilia's in the mental institution, it just it, it's just so hard. Like it's just like so hard to see her in that yeah. space where she is just like very clearly just at her wit's end and just looks exhausted and yeah. it's just been through hell. And and you know, obviously especially knowing that we as the audience know that she's not making this up, right? Um, and that, that the whole, the whole of the mental asylum, uh, sequence of this film is jaw droppingly amazing. Like the entire thing, it's so scary. Um, and it's also kind of, it, you feel a sense of like the upgradeness in this scene, um, where, where, um, the, the guards end up becoming privy to the fact that there is an invisible man with her, because uh, he has snuck into the asylum with her. Mm. Um, and he's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of forgetting the context, but uh, he's probably, he's in the room, in her padded room with her. Um, and uh, So what what sets that up, and also a large part of the story, is uh, Celia is led to believe that she's actually pregnant with Adrian's right. child. And this is brought about by, by uh, Adrian's brother, who's a lawyer, and is essentially trying to pay her off that all of this could stop if you just... Because Adrian always wanted a, a child with Cecilia, right. and she did not want that for obvious reasons. And uh, so what happens is, is uh, she sneaks one of Adrian's brother's pens and um, right. actually uh, commits slashes her wrist right. with the pen. And that brings the Invisible Man to, like, you know, come out right. and try to stop this from happening, stop her from, you know, trying to, end to her kill herself and, 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 and the, babies, the life right? of the baby. The alleged baby, I don't think she actually, I think she was kind of just lied to. I don't, that was something I was kind of thinking about. I was like, was she sure. actually pregnant? I don't think she huh. was. I think it was just, like, another manipulation. Facet of this. It's kind of a thing that, like, wasn't really covered on again, but that's okay i think yeah. you, i think you it it's is... kind of up for for interpretation maybe yeah um but in this scene uh so she does this and then uh she like begins to attempt suicide and he he's trying to stop her and then the guards see this happening and it's the scene where um cecilia is kind of uh trying to get away while uh adrian is murdering or well not actually I don't, I don't know that he actually murders any of the guards oh he kills them yeah <laughs> well he kills some of them but there are there are noticeably some that he does not full out kill like he shoots them in like the leg or something mm -hmm. um which is an interesting aspect um but it's this awesome scene where you finally get like the payoff of like this this monster this man who no you can't see and this is kind of when you start seeing that that flickery uh, effect that phasing in the and phasing out. in and out that Dan was speaking of earlier, 
Um, and it's just such a, uh, a an amazing, amazingly choreographed uh, action scene and, and within this hallway of of, uh, of an insane asylum. It's it's obviously not the same to like what you get in a movie like Upgrade, but it has it's just so stylized right. in such an appealing way, like that movie that yeah. you can very much. You can very much you can tell like connect that, the dots, like, right? Yeah, yeah, that like one I'll direct this and yeah. that. It, it, it's except it, it shows kind of like you know uh, another aspect to his directing style when doing an action scene, right? Like, where you in upgrade you get all this like bombastic crazy shit happening. This is reserved, but also like super frightening, yeah. and super violent, yeah. and it's it's great, very violent. Um, and the, and the scene, uh, um. That follows this when she walks, runs out into the rain outside of the insane asylum, and tries to to find him. It's just another one of these moments where this movie is so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like it's seriously a really scary movie, and will have you tense the entire time because because of the concept of the Invisible Man, right? Before we get um, into that, I just want to address the uh, the paint can scene, which maybe yeah, like, I, yeah, I want to get to that too. Yeah. Um, um, there's a scene uh, pretty early on, or um, or maybe halfway through the film, where where uh, Cecilia, while at her friend's house, uh, ventures up into the attic because uh, she hears something up there. Basically, uh, she the, believes that that he might be stowed up there. The introduction of Adrian as the Invisible Man, right? Where he kind of begins. Like messing with her while well, wearing the suit, and we you get moments of it before. That's like true. you you see like him pick up the knife, like you see the knife fall from the counter and it doesn't hit, mm. which is such a great little uh, neat effect there because like it looks like it might just be falling off the table, and then you don't hear the slam of it, mm-hmm. um, which gives you another hint. It's all these little hints, but you don't really know that he's there mm-hmm. for real. Um, this is the first actual moment where she finds his cell phone up there, um, and as she's coming back, you know, again, as the audience, you're just, like, waiting for something to happen. You're looking at every corner of the room to see something, and, um, she goes back to the, the attics, uh, the ladder up to the attic, and looks down, and then she takes this paint can and just, like, splashes it down... Below and it's it's Ooh. it's the Invisible Man yeah. like right there and it just covers the entire top of it the, is the suit. So scary and it's so <laughs> so scary. I think everyone in the audience, uh, which unfortunately was a small audience that night, but everyone there was just like, "Holy shit!" Um, Dan and I, I know I definitely jumped like out of my seat basically at that point. Um, yeah, that that is another really great uh, great jump scare. But really well deserved. Like it's not a cheap jump scare in the slightest. Um, but uh, yeah, so th- those were some of my biggest highlights in terms of like the set pieces and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, was there anything else you kind of wanted to? Um, let's let's bring it back. Also, uh, kind of got off track because um, uh, wanted to talk about that scene. But yeah, like when um, you get into her chasing him out of the mental hospital yeah. and like you know. Obviously, you get the scenario. He's in the rain. Seems like you know, be a dead giveaway for him. You know, right. being caught. But um, that just leads to such a great climax of the film with like you know, he's going back to potentially harm like the people, her friends that she was living with, which is this cop and his yeah. daughter. And yeah, it's just such a roller coaster. Like it, it 
really, I mean, for a movie that is like kind of slow paced, the momentum just keeps going in this yeah. thing, and it's so impressive. And, and it, it was this moment, um, I love this moment where where uh, she gets the upper hand on him at, at the friend's house and is able to put a stop to the Invisible Man, right? And um, she rips off the mask, and it's actually Adrian's brother. And I remember you saying, like, oh, I knew it. And I, I was thinking, I, as like, soon... thought it was, like, just ever since he was introduced, it's like... He was shifty, right? It's actually him. Um, like, I think, like, I had this whole theory, like, he killed his brother, he actually, you know, had, like, some weird, like, revenge that he wanted to get on, like, both of them. Yeah. Like, I was, like, putting these things together, it's like, uh, it's, it's so, him. Somehow I hadn't put that together until she shot him and was about to take off the mask. I was like, wait, this could probably be the brother. And then it was... But the great point about this is that it's a it's a maybe an expected twist. It was expected for you, mm-hmm. but then that's not actually. It's like it's it's one layer of this overall twist where mm-hmm. it was actually both the brothers kind of in tandem. And probably happy. because well, I was I was gonna say probably because Adrian is still he's such a manipulative person. He's manipulating his brother to do this too, mm-hmm. while he's manipulate he's trying to manipulate uh, Cecilia as well. And I'm happy it wound up being that. Because, yeah. like, I, I just immediately expected, like, oh, we're going to get, like, some kind of backstory into his brother and, the, yeah. you know, <laughs> he was the cause of this. But it, it just, like, <coughs> further accentuates how great of a villain Adrian is. Yeah. What a piece of shit. Um, do you want to do you want to broach into the, the ending? Yeah, the so, so um, it ends up, you know, she finds out that it's, it was his brother, but... Um, then they find Adrian still alive uh, in his house, um, you know, stowed away in his house somewhere. Um, and he tries to make a connection back with Cecilia. Hey, this wasn't me. I didn't do this. Um, could we talk this out and then have like a real discussion? And so she goes back to his house. And as soon as I, as soon as she was going back to her house, I knew what she was going to do. Oh, right. Too. Like you could definitely see it being like, kind of like, um, you know, the the stereotype of the the abused person not being able to really escape the trauma and and you know feeling it, it kind of reminds me of like something like Barry with with um, his love interest in that show and how her relationship with Sam is right exactly um, and and you could see how maybe it would it would be like the sad very uh, depressing ending where she goes back to him and and doesn't. And does believe that it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I knew she was going back, I was like, she knows she's going to kill the fuck. She's, she, I know I know that that invisible suit's there. I was going to say, she had the suit. She took it when oh she my was God. raiding the house. Yeah, so, she, well, the point there is that she finds the suit um, and stows it away at uh, in the same spot that she originally stowed her stuff when she originally uh, escaped from from the the relationship mm-hmm. um so she stows it there and uh there's a moment where she she says she has to go to the bathroom they're having like this little dinner he's already being a little hostile and and being his old you know abusive self um you get a feeling that he thinks he has the upper hand right, again right he's gonna get her to come back to him and 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 forgive him a for some reason, oh my for god, all it's so done. good, and um, it's such a feel-good ending. It's such like an empowering ending. Um, so she walks, she walks, she goes to the bathroom, uh, goes to the bathroom, and quotes, um, puts on the suit, and he, as he's sitting there, um, we get a, a, a view from a, a security camera of him holding a knife to his throat, 
uh, like he picks up the knife at his, at his dinner table and it's the exact, it's again, you know, going back to the scene with her and her sister mm-hmm. and he slits his own throat according to this camera. There's no video evidence of her doing this. Um, she, she retreats, takes off the suit, comes back and has like this horrified look for the camera, right? For the security camera to, to, you know, tip off that he murdered himself. Mm-hmm. It's such a... Oh, it was such a good ending. And again, tying back into the scene with Celia and her sister and him being killed the same way that he killed her sister, it's... Mwah, chef's kiss. (laughs) It's so good. That's such a great wrap-up to this film. And and I love this. She's uh, in communication uh, with... Uh, with her friend, who's a cop, the one that she's been staying with, is a, he's actually a cop, um, and kind of uh, their purpose there, what, what he thought their purpose there was to try and get Adrian to confess to doing this, to killing the sister and being this invisible menace to her, whereas her ob- obvious ulterior, ulterior motive is to actually kill him because mm-hmm. she knows again and again, you know, He'll get away somehow, right? Yeah. He's a very rich, powerful man. He'll get away. And she puts an end to it. And she puts a complete dead stop to it. And it's so perfect. And I love this moment where she's reacting and, and uh, her friend is hearing it. And he runs out of the car and, and she's calling the cops, you know, saying that, that he committed suicide or whatever. Um, and she walks out and he he faces her and they, they get head to head. And she's just like, yeah, it's done. And, like, has, like, no remorse. Yep. Just, it's so powerful. Or just, like, a weight has been lifted it's from her. It's so, so because powerful. Because she was able to, she was able to take it into her own hands yeah. and just end the situation herself. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a, a perfect end to this movie. I, I, I can't talk about this movie enough. I think it is, it's genius. It really is. Um... I think that's all I've got. I think Me this too. movie is is phenomenal, and I I hope a lot more people see it. And, I hope so too. and, and again, I hope this leads into a, a great set of uh, similar style movies like this. I hope so. And even if it doesn't, I'm just happy that we have this. I'm happy that exactly. this exists. I'm I cannot wait for whatever Lee Wanell has next. I would love it if he was attached to another film like. In, in this in universe, universal yeah. uh, canon, that would be awesome. But it'll, it's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where we go from here. And you know what? What really is so great about this movie is that uh, it tells a complete story, and there's not nothing left hanging at the end. I, I couldn't imagine this being a sequel bait for any anything. It could never lead into anything else. Yeah. And, and I don't want it. To and it shouldn't. And it, yeah. it it definitely should not. And I think that's that's great. It absolutely is. Um, whereas, you know, if this was still Universal trying to do this Dark Universe thing, like, obviously it would have, you know, maybe uh, in the end credits would have had <laughs> Hugh Jackman as the Wolfman or whatever, you know? Like, um, I'm, I'm so, so happy that this went this way. <laughs> Me too. Um, and, and again, uh, Dan and I both both given it a 9 out of 10. Strong, strong recommend on this movie. Go see it. Go see it as soon as possible. Yeah, so um, that was our review of Leigh Whannell's uh, Invisible Man, and we're going to take a break here and come back with some uh, shout-outs. 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 So first shout-out this week, um, kind of addressed it in the show already, but all the fine people that I met at C2E2 last weekend, it was great. It's always cool um, being able to just give direct appreciation to 
people who make really great art that I love and be it in the form of writing or actually drawing some amazing comics and it's even cooler when those people are really gracious and nice and really awesome yeah. so big shout out to everybody yeah. Tom King, Sean Murphy uh, Joe Quinones. Yeah, I definitely want to piggyback on that um, obviously uh, meeting some of Dan's friends there uh, was super great um, shout out to coronavirus for not, uh, rooting C2E2, uh, that weekend, because I believe McCormick Place, uh, events are now being canceled, um, uh, for the foreseeable future, as, as well as, you know, so many other events all around the country, mm-hmm. um, that it's kind of getting a little, a little weird, mm-hmm. uh, with this whole thing, um, but it was, it was, again, it was super nice to get out there and, Everyone was obviously being real conscientious about, um, you know, coronavirus and not, not wanting to, you know, when we went to these signings, you couldn't, you know, shake hands with anybody or, or anything like that. So that was really, really good. Um, otherwise, um, what do I want to to shout out? Um, I'm going to kind of give a, not necessarily a shout out, but I do want to mention uh, that I did watch Color Out of Space last oh, night. Oh, nice. I didn't much like it. No? No. Um, especially, it was very surprising coming off of, obviously, something like Mandy, which is, appeared to be a very similar, Color Out of Space appeared to be kind of a similar thing to that. Um, it's definitely a, a pretty different uh, style of movie, um, and it just kind of didn't gel with me. Sure. Um, I would still love to to know your thoughts. I'm sure you'll watch it one day. Oh yeah. Um, but I did love that the the Blu-ray copy that I rented did ha- the first trailer was for Mandy on, awesome. that, on that disc, um, which of course it would be. Um, so yeah, that was kind of an unfortunate um, turn of events for me because I expected to love Color Out of Space, but just didn't do it for me. Gotcha. I'm gonna give a shout out to, and this is something that we're gonna definitely watch together very soon because i really want you to see it um my boys the Safi brothers um i at my work came across a copy of heaven knows what which is their film that um is before good time and obviously uncut gems what an interesting film yeah um you really get a lot of the i mean i I will go on and say it's it's definitely my least favorite of their films sure um but it's amazing seeing like how they started and then like what they've grown into yeah. just just in between that and good time hmm. um so and also just how this movie was made is incredibly interesting so it actually stars the person that the film is based off of um who's this actress her hmm. name's Ariel Holmes which her only credits are this and I've never seen this movie, but uh, the A24 movie American Honey yeah. with uh, Shia LaBeouf, which is... Is she, is she the, the lead in that? I believe so. Really? Um, I didn't like read in depth on the credits for that. I need to watch that movie, so yeah. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that yet. It. Um, but yeah, I, I need to check that out soon. But um, So it's essentially about... I And this is also a movie where I'm, I'm so glad that I got the Blu-ray immediately because it was something that I needed to, like, watch something about it mm-hmm. immediately after. Oh, sure. And, uh, of, of course, like, I don't know how the Safties do it, but... Um, so basically how this movie was even made was... Uh, it's so funny because, like, it's primarily Josh Safdie in, like, the making of featurette. And he says that he was doing research for another film, which I could only believe was Uncut Gems at the time, because he even says 
he spotted this young woman and thought, you know, she had just like a very interesting look and thought she was from the Diamond District. <laughs> so um, this wow. this was being made like like while Uncut Gems was kind of like he was like doing research formulating and that, formulating right. that. And he went and talked to her and found out that she was this homeless woman. I mean, she was like, she's only like 27 year old, 27 years old now. So she had to have been, you know, probably like 21, 20. 22 at the time. And um, they just like got lunch together. And she's homeless, has a heroin addiction, was in this like very like abusive relationship with this guy that she was with, um, who's a... Uh, Played by uh, Caleb Landry Holmes, and or I think I'm fucking up his name. Is that the Caleb guy from Get Jones? Out? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, huh. he's like her boyfriend in huh. this, um, and uh, it's like her in New York as she's struggling with you know being homeless and having wow. a heroin addiction. So it's. Uh, Basically, like after her and Josh had, and this lunch, isn't a documentary. This is a, a fictionalized version of her life. Yeah. So the movie keeps like advertising that it's based off of a book, but actually, Josh Safdie encouraged her to write a book about her life, and then give that to um, him and Benny, and they made a script about it. <laughs> And then the film. So it's not a like she wrote something, but it's not like a a publicized book. I haven't looked. I mean, maybe it has been since this film, but yeah, that's so weird. And being that she's homeless, she literally had to write this book um, via like the library and just like Apple stores, where she was able to like you know get this together. So they ended up having like a ton of material to work with, and then they made this script out of it. And the movie is very, um, it, it does feel very amateurish. Like, you can tell it's, like, sure. a pretty early work for them, but I can't help it. I love it. I think it's absolutely great. Um, it is just so, like, the Safety Brothers get credited with making gutter noir. This is, mm-hmm. like, the most gutter <laughs> thing ever. Like, uh. you could just, like, smell, like, the body odor <laughs> and just, like, exhaust yeah. fumes, like coming off the screen watching this movie it's a bit rough and like frankly just sad in a lot of bits but wow it's it's a great film i really really love it it's it's really great seeing that you know after being so such a huge fan of their last two films um and i just i think it's a great i think it's a great movie awesome i I cannot wait to to finally watch that yeah we got we should try to watch that this week for sure um yeah really love it so yeah it's like I said, Ariel Holmes, Cale Blanky Jones, and then uh, Buddy Duress, who um, was the guy that uh, uh, Nikki like breaks out of the hospital, who he thinks is his brother. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. He's also like huh. the third lead in this, which that dude apparently like he was uh, like just got out of Rakers Island. Oh wow! And like the Sappies knew him and like thought he just had like such a great personality that they cast him in this movie and then in good time. Those guys are wild. They really are. <laughs> like there's like seriously no one else like them in film and just mm. the people that they cast in these movies is just and especially in this it just evokes such a natural and just you know real feeling and yeah. the way that this was made it's just it's so impressive. It's it's a really great. I mean, they've had a few films before this, but this is kind of like their first like real big film before a good time and it's super impressive. It's it's really really good. Yeah. 
Um, my last shout out for this week goes to um, uh, a friend of mine, a professor, uh, ex-professor of mine, uh, Simone, who allowed me to uh, take over her class this past week, um, which is something I've done a, a few times in the past. Uh, she has like conferences uh, elsewhere, and so um, I took over for her horror film class, of course. And uh, the week before, the, the students had watched Get Out, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we talked a bit about that. Of course, they were very quiet, uh, didn't, not a lot of them really wanted to talk, but then <laughs> we showed, uh, or I showed The House of the Devil, awesome. which is one of my favorites, and it was very clear to me that 95% uh, <laughs> of them hated that movie, <laughs> uh, which is uh, testament to... Uh, just, I guess, how um, no one has an attention span anymore. Because, <laughs> uh, admittedly, The House of the Devil is a very slow burn horror film, but it, it, it crescendos into such a phenomenal ending and has so such great style to it and so perfectly mimics uh, the 80s aesthetic that it's going for. Mm -hmm. I love that movie so much and it made me so sad that everyone hated it. I was in the middle of the of uh, the, the classroom as we watched it. Like I was sat like smack dab in the middle and I could just hear throughout the entire movie like people just whispering to each other like, this is so bad, what is going wow. on? Like why is it like... So stupid, and as soon as the lights came on, as I turned the lights back on after it was over, and I was just like, "That movie's great," huh? and everyone was just like, Ugh. Um, "So that was no. unfortunate." But uh, you know, I will say a couple of the the students stayed back after class, and we we just chit chatted and um, talked a bit about like the Invisible Man and and cool. some more about Get Out and about House of the Devil and all these other horror movies and stuff. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, so that was a good time as always. Um, That's great. Yeah, that was cool. And I got to watch a favorite movie of mine again and everyone else hated it. It was too bad, but what are you going to do? Exactly. Kids these days. Right. They don't know anything. But I think that about wraps it up for Infinity yeah. Canvas Ultra this week. Thank you for listening. Um, you'll hear back from us next week. And until then, be good to each other. Have a good week. Peace out. This week's episode of Infinite Canvas Ultra is sponsored by Midwest Action. For more information on their releases and events sponsored by Midwest Action, you can head to MidwestAXN.com or search MidwestAXN at Bandcamp. Midwest Action. Listen local.